Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make Well, here we are, folks. It's another Tuesday, and uh, we're uh, another Tuesday for for being sequestered, uh, locked down. Who knows? Uh, some of you might be in places where they're actually letting you out, and uh, uh, but right here, uh, we're we're still we're still pretty much locked down. Although it seems like every day, I see more cars on the road and more people out. So. Uh, there's a there's a growing impatience. There's a real restlessness, I think, with this pandemic that's happening right now. And uh, uh, well, we'll we'll see. You know, we just boy, we just really have to pray that that we're not going to move too fast here. And uh, suddenly, you know, this thing comes roaring back, um, worse than it worse than the first time. So. But here we are, and uh, uh, it's really great that we've got Blog Talk Radio because some of us have nothing else to do. And um, so I hope you're listening, or it, uh, if it's after, um, after our scheduled time on Tuesday that, that you're enjoying this as a podcast later on in the evening on who knows when. You might even be listening to this two years down the road. We don't know. But um, we believe that uh, we're going to be saying something that's worth hearing two years down the road. And uh, that's what we're excited about. And um, I'm very excited about our guest tonight. This is actually the second time we've had him on the show. And uh, he is uh, this guy is is about the most unorthodox missionary, um, if you want to call him that, that uh, I know of. Um, he lives in the Chicago area, and uh, his his mission field is uh, uh, through uh, you know local bars and place like that where people gather, and especially through the art culture. Uh, in his area and through a thing called uh, Poetry Slams. And that's what really got it started. And, uh, of course, he's doing much more than just that now. But uh, it's really opened up a lot of things for him, too. And that's we really want to talk about that tonight, especially. We want to find out how this whole experience has, has shaped his life and his thinking. Um, and uh, John is the author of A Sacrificial Poet, in which he relates um, a lot of these initial things that he is learning uh, from this whole experience. And uh, you'll know a little, a little bit more about that when we're done. But um, it's John Shirk, S-H-I-R-K, A Sacrificial Poet. And you can get it, I'm pretty sure, on Amazon. And um, 
So uh, you might be, uh, it's a fascinating read. Um, so I suggest you take a look at that. But for now, we're really looking forward to spending the next few minutes with uh, John John Shirk. Wel- welcome, John, to Block Talk Radio. Thanks for having me, John. Um, good yeah. to be here. Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, are you are you hunkered down? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Chicago is definitely in a shelter-in-place shelter in situation. So we are operating out of the house with occasional trips to get groceries and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I understand you've got movie night. Is that right? Coming up? Or... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about that. Um, my wife and the four shirklets, I have four daughters, they are uh, waiting for me to finish this up so we can uh, have dinner and a movie. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But right yeah, now I got uh, time to be with you, and I'm looking forward to it. Have you picked your movie yet tonight? I believe it's one of the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, I believe. Great. great. <laughs> I love those. Those are great. That would be great fun. Okay. Well, John, you have, uh, like I mentioned, you have quite an unorthodox ministry. And uh, I, what I want to know is, did you have any idea going into this thing in Chicago, uh, what you were going, what you were going to be doing? I mean, what was in your mind? What did you think you were going to be doing? I mean, you must have had some kind of imagination for it. And uh, how how far away from that uh, are we in reality? <laughs> well, I, I actually moved into Chicago to do inner city ministry, and I did not have a lot of urban experience. And so I assumed inner city ministry was always dealing with poverty and folks affected by crime in, you know, difficult neighborhoods and stuff. And that's kind of what I thought I was getting into. Um, of course, probably many of your listeners know cities are much more than that. And uh, God threw me a curveball. And not long after we got here, I got pulled into this ministry to the urban arts scene, to a bunch of artists and poets and musicians that I did not see coming. And, wow. uh, you know, God has a sense of humor. It wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't something I wanted, and it wasn't something I felt prepared for. But when, he, but when it happened, it was like, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be. And that was 2002. It's been almost 20 years. Um, wow. And we're still here, still, still working it. How did, it, how did it – just tell me quickly uh, how it unfolded and, um, you know, what, 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 is, what does it basically entail? you know, for you at this point? Well, early on, myself and a friend were just walking the streets of Chicago looking for people to get to know, to build relationships with, in hopes of starting a church and doing ministry. And one night, I got invited into a poetry slam. I had no idea what that was. I didn't like poetry. I didn't consider myself a poet or a writer. But... I was looking for people to talk to and people I could meet. And these guys said they met every week and they had, you know, they, they were talking like it was a wonderful, exciting kind of thing. And I figured I could do anything once and I could, <laughs> I could check this out. And so I did. And I walked in and I, we don't have a lot of time tonight, but just, just to say that as I listened to the poetry um, from a bunch of people that I don't know that any of them would have called themselves Christians, 
I just, I heard God say, this is where I want you to be. Um, hmm. This is, this is the, this is the area I want you to do. I, I didn't know how, I didn't know, if, I didn't know how I was going to learn how, but I felt like that was what God had in store for me. So I, I, I joke to people that people go overseas and they got to learn a foreign language. The, the foreign language to me that I had to learn was poetry. Hmm. And I learned, I had to learn how to communicate in poetry instead of communicating in Spanish or French or Russian or some other language. John, can you, can you give us, I know there's a long answer to this, but I, I want the short answer to what, what is a poetry slam? Uh, a poetry slam is basically uh, a gimmick to get people to listen to poetry. It was invented by a guy in Chicago back in the 80s who was a construction worker and wanted to get his construction worker buddies to listen to poetry, but they felt like poetry like I did. They just weren't into it. And so he decided to make it a competition where it would be scored like the Olympics. They'd have judges. and Because um, after all, guys like sports. So if you make it into a competitive sport, Maybe guys will be interested, and it it really took hold. And now there's poetry slams all over the world. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, poets get up and they read their original poetry, and you get random judges for the audience that rate them not on the not necessarily on the rhyme or meter or poetic side of it. Just random people that say, "Did you like it or did you not like it?" Uh, the, if you liked those three minutes of listening to that guy talk, you give it a high score. And if you didn't like it, you give it a low score. <laughs> um, wow. But that's in a nutshell. Now they're all over the world, which allows uh, you know, artists and creative types to get their poetry in front of an audience where before that would probably have been a bit more difficult. Huh. Um, how, now, now, how do you become – who are the judges uh, how, and how are they selected? It, well, if I if I took you to a poetry slam and you've never been to one before, they would probably want you to judge. Oh, really? Because judging a poetry slam is not based on knowing anything about poetry slam. Like I said, it's basically based on did you like what that guy said for three minutes or that that lady said for three minutes. Huh. So, uh, so yeah, they they pick random judges out of the audience, and the less you know about poetry and poetry slams, the more qualified you are. Interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, now, what do you get for winning? <laughs> or do you uh, win, or is that, there a score that, at the end, well, first, or first what? First of all, first of all, I don't generally slam myself. I'm an open micer. I don't know that I'm good enough for Pete in a poetry slam. But poetry slams, the prizes aren't usually what it's about. I mean, there might be a $10 prize. Um, and you probably paid four or five bucks to get in. So <laughs> it's, it's, not so much about, it's not so much about winning a big prize. It's just about the the community that builds around that um, open mics and poetry slams can, can serve almost like churches where people go hmm. to connect with people. And it, it's the family we choose kind of. So, uh, so it's really not about who wins or loses. It's about uh, listening to each other's poetry and the relationships that get built in the process. So what's the difference between a poetry slam and an open mic? An open mic just means anyone can sign up and read their poem for three minutes, and there's no judging and there's no competition or anything like that. Um, and a lot okay. of poetry slams will have an open mic portion where if I go to a poetry slam, I'll sign up on the open mic. I don't generally compete in the slam because there's way better poets than me. Okay. And uh, 
uh, now, uh, how often do they have these? And and how many people are are on the average are they going to have for for one of these? That would probably vary from show to show. Um, I'm sure. Shows, yeah. There's monthly shows, and sometimes there's just one-off shows where somebody will just do a big open a, a big poetry slam on a on a topic or something. So. Hmm. And again, and and also, I would say that the people in the audience, the number of people in the audience varies too. Sometimes you go to a small show, and there might be ten people there, but they could be sixty, seventy, or more. Wow. So, and how do they get the word out about this? You put up, put up posters or emails or uh, Instagram or who knows or what? All those, uh, all of you about? Media, yeah, and yeah. a lot of a lot of them are, are kind of networks. I mean, they have regulars. You know, the regulars invite their friends, kind of thing. Um, this is not a this is not like a big commercial enterprise. It's people that have a passion for poetry and love the mm-hmm. people in the group and get together and support each other. Wow. So it's almost like you went to Chicago to thinking you might form a church, and it sounds like you found a secular church. Can we almost call it that? That's a we could yeah. In fact, I've I've had. I've heard poets call it that. Like, this is our church. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, and, and, they'll, and they'll tell people like me, don't mess it up. You know, like, you're, you're <laughs> welcome to be here. When, when they, like, now I'm, I'm a regular member and they know me and stuff, but uh, I, I have a friend who was invited, who was involved in a poetry slam, and the host, when they got to know that he was Christian, said, now this is our church, don't you mess it up. Um, huh. Like, you, you have your church, we have our church. What I've found is that I've been I've been welcomed as a, the token Christian, so to speak, in a lot of the places where I've been. Um, you know, there's a lot there's a high value for tolerance and diversity in our culture today, and so mm-hmm. uh, they they tolerate me as just another diverse voice, um, another poet who's sharing his life as he writes poetry about the world and the way I see it. Yeah. Oh God, uh, that's that's fascinating. How um, I'm wondering how have has has it been hard for them to accept you, or how how has that process gone? And you know what what have what have you learned through that? What was it what, like to try and be I've accepted learned, by like, this group? I'll, I'll be honest, I. I grew up on what many people would say, you know, the other, when I was a a young person in church, I heard about culture wars. Yeah. And I would have assumed that artists and poets and the folks, you know, the urban folks that I work with now were the other side of the culture war. And I had, I think a lot of assumptions and stereotypes going in, but I found that relationships have a way of destroying stereotypes. You can make assumptions about people um, that you don't know fairly easily, and you can make them out to be the enemy and, you know, worry about uh, their horrible worldview that you think. But when you actually get to know people and you start to build a relationship and you learn about their lives, you find out as, as humans, we all have a lot in common. We all live in a broken, fallen world. We're all trying to navigate it. Uh, and, and find meaning and purpose. And, you know, right now everybody's locked down, whether you're Christian or whether you're not. Yeah. Um, 
everybody's trying to figure out what the what the virus means for their life and how the changes in the economy and it's going to affect them and their loved ones. And I found that the the people I interacted with, when you get beyond the bluster and the hype, they they're actually very similar. You know, there's there was more some hmm. there was some cultural differences, but there was a lot of just humanness that they were just like me. Um, and hmm. they and I I was worried initially. I was terribly worried that they weren't going to accept me when I became a when I told them I was a Christian. You know, when I started to talk about Jesus, oh, you know, once I start to let them know I'm a Christian, man, they're going to kick me out. They're going to think all these horrible things about me. That was such a false assumption. Um, they were way more accepting of me. And, uh, and to this day, I have a lot of amazing friends that may not be Christian, but they respect me for my beliefs. And, and maybe it's, and maybe part of that's because I've, uh, been, been trying to listen to them and learn their beliefs and, and show them the same respect. I think, I think uh, love breaks down a lot of barriers and listening breaks down a lot of barriers. And that's what I tried to do. And I found they were willing to, to also listen to me and uh, accept me for who I am. Wow. Uh, So it sounds like, uh, it sounds like one of the things you've learned um, from being in that environment is just that we're all human and, and that there are there are connections that you make with other people. I, you know, I I think you and I have been from similar evangelical backgrounds where we were entrenched in just the opposite. We were entrenched in trying to show everybody how different we were from them, and mm-hmm. and and we even made up stuff that made us different. It didn't matter. It wasn't biblical and it didn't matter at all to anything except it just set us apart. And, and we spent so much time that doing this and that it's colored uh, the way we think about people. And I'm just wondering, are there some other ramifications of that, that uh, and your own thinking? How is your own thinking changed about non-christians and about kind of opening your mind up to 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 people in a way um can you talk about that a little bit yeah i think when i moved to chicago i thought i was going to bring jesus Hmm. to the people that i met i thought they needed they needed me to you know teach them about jesus and what i found out was jesus was already here and (laughs) Jesus was going to use them to teach me. Uh, before I came here, I thought the gospel was a message I needed to give to other people so that they could get to know Jesus and they could be saved. And after a while of being here, I realized the gospel is a message that I need every day. And it's it's not something I give to other people to help them. It's It's my survival. And I found that people don't like people who try to tell them what my my friends aren't interested in me telling them how to fix them. And that would be really arrogant of me to think that I could, Hmm. but they're totally open for me to share my own life and my own struggles and the way that Jesus is impacting me and the, the way that I need help. Um, 
You know, the gospel is not a message that I preach to other people as much as it's a message I preach to myself, and sometimes I let other people eavesdrop. And, <laughs> and they're smart enough to figure out what, what the things that I'm wrestling with, uh, what things I'm wrestling with work for them or, you know, apply to their situation. Um, that's, I think, one of, the, one of the biggest lessons. It's not about – the other thing is the gospel is not how I convert people. It's about how I learn to love people. Mm. The, the the love of Jesus is the gospel, and um, and loving people and living out the love of Jesus is important in the same way that talking about and sharing the message about the gospel is. Obviously, the the truth is important, but the the truth that isn't accompanied by a demonstration of what it is to follow Jesus and wrestle with things is not going to be nearly as powerful. John, it sounds like um, what you're saying is that you've you've developed over time a relationship of trust uh, with these people, and that 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 you've earned their trust in in spite of even though you are a Christian and they probably have very negative a lot of them I bet have very negative ideas of Christians in general, but somehow. You got in under the radar, and they accepted you in spite of them. Um, what, what's it, what do you think? Uh, how did that happen? What, what's the key to that, uh, would you say? Um, I, I think you know, it's interesting. You talk about getting in under the radar, and that sounds deceptive. It sounds like a spy yeah, no, yeah, yeah, or no. something. Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, I think what happened was uh, this whole process confronted me, like I said, with my own needs for the gospel. I remember a young lady who, after a, a Bible study we were holding in our home, who said, I, she was crying, and I went to talk to her and said, I, I don't think I can do this. I'm not like you guys. You guys have such good hearts. I'm too broken. And my first reaction was kind of that evangelical mindset that you said before about, you know, we prove that we're different. And therefore, oh, she sees that I'm different and that I have a good heart. And my first reaction was that's a really good thing. But then I realized that wasn't drawing her to faith. That was pushing her away. Hmm. I didn't gain their trust by convincing them I had a good heart. If I gained their trust, it was by being honest enough to admit that I don't. Mm. that I'm just as broken as they are and just as much in need of Jesus as they are. And, you know, I, I tell people that have a, a negative view about the Christians and Christianity, I say, well, you kind of shouldn't be surprised that Christians are messed up because you can't really be a Christian without recognizing that you're messed up and you need Jesus. That's <laughs> the whole point. Um, we're not Christian because we're better than anyone else. We're Christian because... Uh, we we recognize our brokenness, and we mm. recognize our need. And when I when I was willing to be honest about that, and talk about wrestling with my own uh, my own fallenness, my own brokenness, that opened up a lot of trust. Because again, you know, I I was finding out they were just like me, but I was also finding out in many ways I was just like them. Hmm. I wasn't. I wasn't the, the doctor that was sent to heal the sick. 
in this case. You know, the, the great physician came 2,000 years ago, and, and I'm not the doctor here to heal the sick. I'm another uh, person who's being healed by the great physician, and I can introduce him to the doctor, but I'm not somebody that's better than them that, uh, that's going to fix them and solve their problems and convince them of anything. Wow. Um, that's so good. Uh, John, is there a way, you know, that, see, I think, I think it's you, the thing, these things we've been talking about are something that really every, don't you think every Christian should know these things and should think this way? Well, I, I have to be really careful when I start trying to decide what every Christian should know and should do. Because one of the, another one of the things I learned in this whole thing, I, I went in with some really negative assumptions about people on the other side of the culture war and all these people that I was going to meet. And when I met them and I learned that they weren't, you know, that, that my assumptions were wrong and I, I, I basically fell in love with them, then I turned around and I made a bunch of really false assumptions about people in the church. Huh. And I... I, I want to be careful to say that the fact that I was that I had to learn all these lessons because I could I could turn around and sound like now that I learned all these lessons I I need to teach everybody in the church the same thing and um I but I but I do think again by definition Christians are people that recognize their brokenness um hmm. and so. In one sense, I, I can't necessarily tell other believers in evangelical churches how they should be different and what, what they're doing wrong. Um, but I'm assuming if they're believers and followers of Jesus, they would have their own list of what the Holy Spirit's convicting them, just like he's convicting me. Again, it's not because I'm better. It's, I, I, you know, I'm finding we're all alike. We're all, yeah. whether, we're, uh, whether we're out in the world doing poetry and not believers at all, or whether we're in the church and born and raised in it, we're all desperately in need of the gospel every day. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that much I could say that believers need to wrestle with, uh, I think it was Jerry Bridges said, you need to preach the the gospel to yourself every day. And the gospel is you're much more sinful than you even know, but you love more than you can imagine. And God's hmm. grace is enough. And, and I, yeah, everybody should wrestle with that. I just would be careful about me trying to lecture people on what their personal brokenness looks like, whether they're in the church or not. Right. I guess what I was trying to get at is um, how is there some way that, you know, uh, the folks who are listening to us right now, you know, they're, they're not going to go necessarily uh, downtown to the nearest big city and join a poetry slam. Um, how? What I'm. What I was trying to get at is: is there some way they could access some of the experiences that have have helped you and that has changed your perspective through this? You know, without having to, without obviously having to, to to go off somewhere and and join a uh inner city ministry. Gotcha. Is that, no, that's I a think, tough question, I understand, but Yeah, no, but I think it to get, to get to that to that point, I think it's all about relationship. 
Okay. I think it's really easy on Facebook to have opinions about the people that disagree with me and to make big pronouncements about uh, people who are different than me. Hmm. But so often a relationship begins to trump that. Hmm. You know, you don't, you don't learn people, how much people are alike unless you actually get to learn about people. And not everybody's going to necessarily be interacting with poets in a city, but we all have neighbors. And we all have people in our communities. And I would, and I, I believe that, you know, we have red and blue America and all that, the polarization they're talking about. There's plenty of polar, everybody's near somebody that would be easy yeah. to, to make the enemy that if you reach out and, and build a relationship and get to know them, oftentimes you find out, wow, there's, they're a lot more like me than I realized. They, they want what's best for America. They want their kids to get a good education. They want, you know, they want safety in their neighborhood. Um, they, they maybe have different ideas about what that looks like and how to get there. Um, but, but I think, I think relationship is where those barriers break down. That's great. John, is everybody, do you think everybody is a, is a poet? Somewhere, somewhere down in there, we can all do this. I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think I was, but it was it was buried in you know I was the poet was buried in me somewhere. So I I'd never tell somebody they're not. Um, <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't make somebody try to make somebody write poetry, but I'd never tell somebody they're not. Yeah. Well, now po- poetry doesn't have to be, you know, rhyme and and uh meter and all that stuff does it right doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you think there's what is about it that helps us what is it about poetry that helps us get to our our deep our deeper thoughts our deeper feelings or emotions do you think there must be something well, to it I think there's a lot of things that you can't communicate in an analytic, uh, logical, you know, a, a lot of, well, maybe that's why love poetry is a thing is because love is often not logical. Yeah. And you know, you, you can't just, you can't just make mm. a formula and explain it. You know, there's a lot of things that, that can't just be explained in a, like an owner's manual, step A, step B, whatever. And, and poetry allows, uh, allows us to explore things from different angles and, um, and use imagery and like, there's just a lot of, a lot of tools and toys that linguistic tools and toys that poets get to use that can paint pictures. Sometimes you can't understand it, but you can admire a beautiful picture. And sometimes that picture is a word picture. Yeah. Yeah. What if, uh, we're, we're, we're running out of time now, but, I'm what if someone wanted to kind of unlock this in themselves? What if what if someone wa- what would you tell them? If someone wanted to, you know, try and find the poet somewhere in inside their heart, you know, are there are there helps we can do that or is there is there a book somewhere poets poet, you know, poets for everyday suckers <laughs> or something like that, you know? Um, do you know, uh, what would you, 
Um, I know. Well, I had, of course, I had some really wonderful tutors when I was learning how. I had some amazing Chicago poets that were teaching me how to do it. One thing that I think is uh, is really helpful is probably reading poetry. And it's, mm. it's interesting to me that when, you know, God wanted to communicate with us in the Bible, he made a whole slew of it. That's true. The Psalms, you know, you read the Psalms and I just think, okay, how can I, uh, you know, mm. what, what is, what is the Psalmist saying and what, like worship and worship. I like to worship with the Psalms and, and wrestle, sometimes wrestle with God because the Psalms are sometimes challenging. The, David's going through really hard times and I go through hard times. So, so I think reading, reading poetry is probably a good way to kind of begin to learn the language of poetry. Um, and obviously if you connect with other people that write, but I, I, I would tell people to write for themselves. Like they don't, you don't need to write something to be published or to, to, to read on an open mic or poetry slam. Yeah. Just write the, what you're thinking and write your heart in a notebook. And if it, nobody ever reads it, but you, it's still meaningful. That sounds great. Well, it sounds like a great way to to discover more about ourselves and then for sure more about each other. And uh, so I I think this is fabulous. I uh, what do you think the future holds, John? How how you know, how long do you think this is going to going to continue for you? Well, I mean, poetry's been around for thousands of years. Um, I won't be around for thousands of years, but I don't have any like desire to do anything else. In fact, I've, there've been times when I've wondered if, you know, maybe God was going to move me somewhere else and he never uh-huh. let me. I just like, this is as much as I didn't want to do it. And I didn't think I liked poetry. Now I feel like I was kind of, uh, born for this. Yeah, just a quick aside. You mentioned it's a great way to get to know yourself and get to know others. Um, Art reveals the soul of the artist, which is why the heavens yeah. declare the glory of God in creation. And one of the things that I really enjoy is you go to an open mic and you get to know people from the things they write and the things they say on the mic, even before you meet them. And they hmm. get to know me a little bit because they hear some of my, some of my soul come through the, the poetry, um, so I think it is an amazing, there's a reason it's been around for thousands of years. It's an amazing, powerful tool that God gave us to communicate with each other and to worship him. Yeah. And it gets to, I know my wife is very much into right brain stuff. And, and to me, that's what, that's what poetry is. It's all right brain. Mm. And, and that's really all of our emotions. And, and the emotions is a seed bed of, of what we do and the decisions that we make and the choices that we make. And, uh, it's, it's really important. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, ah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great tool. Um, and here at the catch, we're going to be exploring a little bit about maybe we can somehow work together and get some kind of a poetry slam going, uh, Online, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think that could be done? Um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to those conversations. I mean, obviously the open mics and slams I go to, you you got to be in Chicago to do it. But now yeah. with this 
virus, everything is Zoom and, you know, all these online things. There's yeah. no reason we couldn't do something and have folks from California and Chicago and all over the, all over the map. Cool. Have you been, uh, have you been communicating uh, that way with, with your people since we've, uh, everybody went inside? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we, we're obviously not meeting every week like we were, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of phone calls and emails and, um, you know, there's, there's some of us, we, we do shopping for ones that have been under the weather and, you know, so you get a chance to talk through the door for a few minutes when you drop off the groceries. Um, I'm finding that this time of shutdown uh, allows for a lot of communication. Hmm. People are, you know, people are most likely going to be home and they most likely don't got a lot to do. So you give them a call and you, you know, I'm connect, connected with people I haven't talked to in a while. Um, you know, it's one of the, one of the silver linings that's come out of this otherwise very difficult and yeah. uh, hard time for our country. Yeah. Say, well, John, this has been great. I, I appreciate you taking some time with us and uh, I, I just love what you're doing. Um, I, I think it's uh uh, I just think it's a great way to uh, to to open. What I love about it, John, is that you, like you say, you went thinking that you were going to, uh, you know, bring Christ to these people, and and uh, Christ came to you through them. And uh, yeah, what a what a what a great way to think about the world around us. And uh, I just rec- encourage us all to think that way. Uh, we need to we need to think really differently about non-Christians and think about who who they are and what what God can teach us through them and uh, um, what it means for us to become vulnerable to ourselves and to them and uh, and find out what he's trying to teach us it's a, it's a, it's a, my wife always talks about it like we're coming alongside we're we're walking along Side each other, and uh, even as Christians, we're walking alongside each other, headed, you know, headed to the the final day, and um, and 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 let's gather as many people as we can um, to walk with us, regardless of what they believe or where they're at. Join in, and let's just keep talking and keep loving each other, and and uh, watching watching the Lord show up. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, John, any last thoughts before we uh, close it off tonight? Uh, just thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm always encouraged when I get to share with people about what's going on. Sometimes in the middle of everything, you know, you get busy and you get overwhelmed with, the ministry and I get a chance to talk to somebody like you share, share what God's doing. It just reminds me and it's an encouragement to me. God's busy out there. Um, he's busy with the catch. Mm. He's busy in Chicago and he's busy in a lot of places that frankly, Christians haven't even shown up yet. And so uh, I would just encourage your, uh, your listeners to see where, you know, God might be busy in their community and how they can be a part of that and, and learn and, and learn like I did in, in, in Chicago. Fantastic. Fantastic. John, thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure this won't be the last time and uh, uh, we'll look forward to see, see where this all goes from here. 
Okay, so uh, enjoy the movie. Enjoy the movie tonight, <laughs> and okay. your family. Okay, love you. Thank you a lot. Thanks so much for being on. Well, there you go, folks. That was fun. That was fun. Uh, poetry in Chicago. Who would ever have thought that uh, John and going to minister to Chicago was going to end up with a whole bunch of poets and artists and and a whole different culture that he's never seen. So, where's your spot? Let's ask God where our place is. Where does he want us to be, and what does he want us to learn out there in the real world? That's what we're here for at The Catch, connecting life to faith. Okay? Well, we will see you next week. God bless everybody. Stay safe. Stay well, take care of each other, love your neighbor, serve each other in love, and uh, let's pray that God brings this thing to a close soon. Okay, God bless y'all.